Father in heaven, we uh, come before you grateful and joyful people, Lord, because the grave is empty, Christ is risen, and Lord, we pray now as we turn to your word that we would behold wondrous things from it, that you would instruct us, that you would teach us, Lord, that you would convict us and you would challenge us. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would use the Spirit-inspired word and apply it to our lives this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys can take your seats and uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41, Genesis chapter 41. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, a long while ago it seems, I was co-leading a group of grade 12 boy students. And uh, during this small group season, it seemed like every single week a certain question came up. In some shape, and sh- in some form, this question came up. Whether it was one group or one group member saying it or next week another group member saying it, this question came up and the question was this, what is God's will for my life. Each of these young men, they were wrestling. They were at a point in their life when they were wrestling and trying to discern what was God's will for their life. What school should they go to? What school did God have me or would desire me to go to? Some of them were in uh, relationships or on the cusp of going into relationships and they were trying to discern, is this relationship from God? Is this what God would have for me? Some of them were trying to discern the gifting that God had for them. And is this how God has gifted me? Is this the career and the path that he should have for me? Each of us have probably asked that question as well. Whether that's school, whether that's work, whether that's a family scenario that's arisen. We're asking what is God's will for our life? I talked with one of these young men uh, not too long ago and Uh, As I was talking with him, he was no longer asking the question, what was God's will for his life? In fact, the question had changed. He was in a place in his life where he was not happy. He was upset with the station and position he was in in his life. He wasn't happy with his career. He wasn't happy with his relationship status. He wasn't happy with uh, a number of the challenges that have uh, arisen in his life. And his question wasn't, what is God's will for my life anymore? The question was for him, why? Why is God allowing me to be in such a place in my life? It feels as though God's forgotten me. And if he hasn't forgotten me, it doesn't seem like he really cares. Why has God allowed me to get to this place? And if we're honest, we've asked that question too. Maybe we've thought it. Maybe we've even said it. We've asked God why. When the medical diagnosis comes and it's not good, it's severe. God, why? When a relationship ends suddenly, why? When a family member tragically dies, God, why? We're asking the question, why is God allowing these painful things into our life? It seems as though he's forgotten us. This morning, we're turning to Genesis chapter 41. We're jumping uh, into a story of a man named Joseph, midway through. And if anyone in the scriptures could have asked why, it was Joseph. See, if you know anything about Joseph's life in Genesis 37, we meet Joseph. He's at the ripe age of 17 years old. And he comes from a big family of brothers. And we learn that his brothers hate him. And they hate him 
because his father favors Joseph above the rest of them. And as the chapter unfolds, we learn that Joseph begins to have unique and special dreams from God. And little brother Joseph shares these dreams with his brothers and shares them with his father. And the dream is of him being in a position of power in which his own brothers would bow down to him. And naturally, his brothers were even fueled more in their hate. And it actually pushes them over to the edge, to the point when Joseph is going out to meet the brothers uh, in the, the shepherd's field, and the brothers, so filled with rage, conspire to kill him. And in the midst of throwing Joseph into a pit, uh, about to kill him, they realize, no, we shouldn't kill him. Let's sell him, let's traffic him into slavery. And some foreigners are passing by, and they sell Joseph. And Joseph, naked, likely, in chains and shackled on his way to a foreign land with people he doesn't know, is probably wondering and asking, why, God? The very people that were to love Joseph the most sold him. And we meet Joseph after that. He ends up in Egypt, and he ends up in a man's house named Potiphar. And Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house. Joseph, the Bible says, God is with him. And Joseph continues to serve in Potiphar's house faithfully with integrity. And it says that Joseph begins to move up the ranks, that Potiphar recognizes Joseph is a man that is honorable, that is faithful. And Joseph begins to get in a position of power in which he oversees all the house of Potiphar. And then we find that Joseph, being a faithful man, a man that wanted to honor God, love God, that Potiphar's wife... She desired to have an affair with Joseph. And Joseph, being a man that loved the Lord, would refuse to do such a thing, to sin against God, to sin against his master Potiphar. And day after day, Potiphar's wife trying to lure him into sin, and he refuses, and eventually he runs away uh, out of her presence one day. And her and her anger actually fabricates a story in which Joseph was the one that was making sexual advances on Potiphar's wife. And she tells this to Potiphar, and Potiphar naturally is enraged. And Potiphar sentenced Joseph to the prison of the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. Why, God? It's as if things just kept going from bad to worse, and Joseph, a young man uh, in slavery, he's already a slave. Could it get any worse? Yes. Prison. And we find Joseph, that God is with him and he continues to be faithful and walk in integrity and he is promoted to second in command in the prison. And in Genesis chapter 40, a scenario arises in which Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he has an incident that happens in his house and it involves the baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh. We don't really know what the incident is, but it has likely to do with Pharaoh's food, that the cupbearer and the baker were to oversee Pharaoh's food and make sure that no one was handling it uh, to poison Pharaoh. Something happens. Both the baker and the cupbearer get sentenced to prison, and they meet a young man named Joseph in prison. And both of these individuals, the cupbearer and the baker, they have a dream. Both individually a dream on the same night. And Joseph, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, interprets these dreams to them. The baker, he says, you're actually going to die. That you will be hanged. And then to the cupbearer, he says, you are going to live. And Joseph naturally pleads with the cupbearer, please, when you get out of here, when you're before Pharaoh, remember me. I shouldn't be here. I was unjustly put in prison, just as you were. Help me. And we find at the end of Genesis 40, verse 23, it says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Why, God? Why, God? If there was anyone who could have been asking, why, God, when things had happened, it was Joseph. And we see a theme throughout Joseph's life, though. How was it that a man that just had scenario after scenario go from bad to worse, what was it that he held on to? What was it that he knew and he believed? What was it that could keep him going through the most difficult circumstances in life? I want to put forward to you that it could be summarized in three words, the very thing that Joseph held on to. Three words that could summarize the story and life of Joseph. Three words that could summarize Genesis 41, and it's this. Joseph held on to this, that God's in charge. That God's in charge, that he is sovereign over everything that happens. And that doesn't mean that Joseph understood it, but he knew that God was not asleep on his throne. But he had a plan, and in his providence was working out that plan. Joseph did not believe in accidents. He only believed in divine appointments. And this morning, we are going to see four things out of Genesis 41 of a person who understands and gets that God's in charge, doesn't just affirm it with their mouth, but knows it in their minds and believes it in their hearts So we're going to see four things out of Genesis 41, and we're going to take these four things in chunks. We're going to read the passage corresponding with the point as Genesis 41 is a a big chapter. And we're going to see the first thing that Joseph held onto about knowing that God's in charge. What did he see? What did he recognize? What is it that we need to see? What is it that we need to recognize as we live life through the ups and the downs, the good and the bad As God is in charge, the first thing that Joseph recognized is that he recognized his place. He recognized his place. Let's look at Genesis 41, verses 1 to 16. Let's follow along. After two whole years, let's just pause right there for a quick moment. Joseph has been sitting again in prison for two whole years. Why, God? God is about to do something amazing. And it says, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows And Pharaoh woke and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh woke and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled and he sent and he called for the magicians of Egypt. Egypt. 
and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when he told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and he called for Joseph. And they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. The first thing that we see as Joseph knew that God was in charge, he recognized his place before God. We see that God begins to move and Pharaoh has these two dreams and no one can interpret these dreams. And finally, in an instant, the cupbearer remembers He remembers Joseph from the prison and he brings his name to mind and Pharaoh calls for Joseph and they get him ready. They shave him up, they clean him up and they put uh, better clothes on him. He goes, as it says, quickly brought him out of the pit. And we see Joseph, his moment had come out of the pit and we see Pharaoh says to him, I hear it's you that can interpret dreams and we see Joseph display his humility, display as he sees himself before God and he says this, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Pharaoh, you think it's me that can give an answer? You think it's in my ability? You think it's in my place that I can do this? No, God, God is the one who can do this. This is even more shocking when you think of how Joseph answers because in the ancient Near East times, Pharaoh was considered the most powerful person on the planet. And in the uh, Egyptian land, Pharaoh wasn't just considered the most powerful person on the planet, he was considered God himself. And when you take that in mind and you read that Joseph, he does not see Pharaoh as God. He says, God is the one who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He recognized his place before God, and he recognized his place before man. What we see in the life of Joseph is a man who consistently demonstrates humility in the good times and in the best of times. You know, if we uh, go through something difficult, often it reveals our hearts. Right? It reveals what we believe in, what we trust in. When things don't go well and according to plan, how do you react? Is it in anger? Is it in frustration? Is it in sadness? Is it in disappointment? Joseph, we see time and time again, reacts in humility and in trust and in faith in God. 
as things go from bad to worse. He doesn't get upset and he doesn't get bitter. He trusts God. And we see even in the best of times, it reveals his heart and what he believes. But he recognizes who God is and he lives and carries himself in light of that. You see, what we believe in our heart is revealed in what we say and what we do. So when things don't go according to plan, how do you react? When things go better than according to plan, are you filled with pride? Of all the answers Joseph could have had after being uh, mistreated, unjustly put in prison, he could have finally came before Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, I can interpret your dream, but as if I interpret your dream, you need to get me out of prison. You need to promise me that I will never go back to prison. No. He doesn't even say that. He says, it's not in me. But God will give you a favorable result. What we believe is revealed in how we live. When your job isn't going well, how do you respond? Is a response in anger and frustration? When you're parenting your children and it's difficult and it's hard, how do you respond? Children, youth in the room, when life gets difficult and conflict arises, how do you respond? Is it in trust? Is it in submission? Is it in humility? Do you recognize your place? And this comes when we begin to see that God is in charge and God is sovereign, that God rules over all things. We see a second thing. We see a second thing that Joseph recognizes. He doesn't just recognize his place. He recognizes God's plan. And we're going to skip down to verse 25. Uh, the, The previous section is Pharaoh regurgitating his dream to Joseph. And then we see Joseph's response. Verse 25, Joseph begins to speak. He says, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years, and the dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that this thing is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and a wise man and let him over, set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Joseph recognized God's plan 
Did you see this as he was uh, interpreting Pharaoh's dream? He says three times in verse 25, he says, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28, it says this, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that this thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Joseph saw and recognized God's plan. Pharaoh, do you see this? Do you see this? This is God's plan. He has revealed it to you. Do you recognize it? I see it. I recognize it. Do you? Three times, Joseph reiterates, this is God's plan. And I want to pause and stop for a moment, because some of us in here, we get a little uncomfortable when we think about the sovereignty of God and God's providence. In fact, some of us, the attitude that we have when we think of that God is sovereign, that he providentially orders our steps, is that we think that we can mail it in. That we can just kind of coast along. That if God is sovereign and he's going to do what he's going to do, I don't need to be involved. I don't need to be faithful in my witness. I don't really need to pursue spiritual growth. I don't need to be part of the church. I can be a consumer. I can go about my life because God is sovereign and he is going to do what he is going to do. And what we see that's so amazing in this chapter, what we see in the Bible is that the Bible affirms, yes, the sovereignty of God and his providence, but it absolutely affirms the responsibility of man. You see this, that Pharaoh is told, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. This is God's plan. He has revealed to you what he is going to do. And Joseph then begins to tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you need to respond in light of this. Pharaoh, you need to respond in light of this. And he says, you need to appoint someone who is wise and discerning to be able to take the place of overseeing this tax of food. Pharaoh, you need to appoint overseers that this is fixed by God, as he says, but it also requires a response. In fact, this is something that the Bible teaches across the entire scriptures, that yes, God is sovereign, but man is responsible to respond to God's revealed will. When God reveals that judgment is coming, what is the response that needs to be had? Repentance. When God here reveals that there is a famine that is coming, the response is that we should gather up our food so we can survive the famine. God's revelation everywhere in Scripture always requires a response. Some of us in here are like, well, God hasn't told us that a famine's coming. God hasn't told us that we should respond and start gathering food. No. In fact, some of us in here are like, there are so many things that God hasn't told us about, I don't really know how to discern what his will is. And yes, there is an element in which God's will is secret, his secret will. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Yes, But God's word also reveals his revealed will. This is what God's will is for your life. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is God's will for your life. To love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's will. That you would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is God's will, that you would work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is God's will, that you would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. This is God's will, that you would put to death the deeds of the body, 
This is God's will, to be holy as he is holy. God has revealed these things to you, and I want to ask you, church, are you responding? Are you responding? Do you take that serious? Husbands, do you take serious the command, God's revealed will to wash your wife in the word? Parents, do you take serious God's word and his revealed will that you would raise up your children in the way that they ought to go? Church, do you take serious the call to be an active member in the body of Christ using your spiritual gift? Church, do you take serious the command of the Lord Jesus himself to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Do you take that seriously? Are you living on mission? Do you take serious the call to witness? That is God's will. And just because God is sovereign and he's revealed those things doesn't mean we mail it in. It actually requires and demands a response and we will be held accountable to how we respond. This is God's will. Are you responding? We see a second thing or a third thing from this chapter. That as Joseph knew that God was in charge, he recognized his place before God. He recognized God's plan. We see another thing that is recognized about Joseph. It's found right here in verse 37. Look with me and see it. It says, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zapanath Paneah. And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt. And put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. The third thing that we see that is recognized, that Pharaoh sees and recognizes about Joseph, and it is a theme in Joseph's life, is found right there in verse 37 and 38. It says, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Pharaoh recognized that Joseph had help. There was something special and unique about Joseph. And this is a theme that again would come up throughout the entire story of Joseph's life. Every chapter, it really uh, says something along the lines of, and God was with Joseph. God's spirit specially indwelt Joseph. And as Joseph went through the trials and the difficulties of life that went from bad to worse, he was able to be faithful because God had filled him with his spirit to fulfill and to work out the calling that God had placed on Joseph's life. Do you recognize his help? The unique and special thing the New Testament teaches is that all those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ alone for salvation, that God fills his people today with his Holy Spirit. The same spirit that filled Joseph's life is the same spirit that fills us today. If you look at Joseph's life, we can think, how did Joseph remain faithful? How did he remain steadfast? How did he endure through all these things? It was because he was a man filled with the Spirit. How did Joseph, able to uh, stand on guard against sin and fight sin when Potiphar's wife tried to lure him day in and day out with adultery, how was it that he could do that? It's because he was a man filled with the Spirit. How was it that he was able to interpret dreams and do this special calling in which God had called him? It was because he was filled with the Spirit. Joseph recognized that. It is not in me. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable result. It was as if Joseph was living out the reality of Colossians 3, living out the reality of Galatians 5, living out the reality of Romans 8. It was as if he was walking by the Spirit, a man filled with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. And some of us in here, we want to walk by the Spirit. We recognize the circumstances God has placed us in. They're tough and they're difficult. And we want to know how. How do I do that? How did Joseph walk by the Spirit? How did he live by the Spirit? What was it that he was able to do that? And there's a theme that the New Testament teaches about those that walk by the Spirit and it has to do with what we think about. See, Joseph was a man that had his mind on the things of God, that he recognized and knew that God was sovereign. And the New Testament teaches this as well. Colossians 3 verse 2 says this, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Romans 8 says this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Are we setting our mind on the things above? Are we setting our mind on the things of the Spirit? We hear that, we're like, how do I set my mind on those things? Where do I start? If I want to live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, how do I set my mind on the things of the Spirit? What are those things? Well, I think a great place to start is are you reading and studying and setting your mind on the word of God, which is the spirit-breathed, spirit-inspired word? This is a great place to start. Do you take that seriously? Do you have a set time during the day in which you are getting your mind specifically fixed and focused and meditating on the spirit-breathed word? 
We can't walk by the Spirit if we are not setting our mind and our heart on the things of the Spirit. Are you doing that? We see a fourth thing. Joseph, he recognized his place before God. He recognized God's plan and he recognized his help, the Spirit of God. Joseph came to a place where he recognized something else. He recognized God's blessing. He recognized God's blessing. Look with me at verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, For God has made me fruitful in the land of affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was a famine in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Joseph recognized God's blessing, and we see this in verse 51 and 52. Joseph has two sons. And he names the first Manasseh, it says in verse 51. And he says this, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Out of the whole story of Joseph, Genesis 37 to 50, these are the only verses in which Joseph references the pain and the difficulty in which he went through. And he recognized that when he got to a place of uh, forgetfulness, as he puts it, forgetting the, the pain that he went through and his hardship, but also forgetting his father's house, he accredited that to God. But we got to ask, did Joseph actually forget his father's house? Did he actually forget his father and his mother and his brothers? I would say no, because in the following chapters, when his brothers show up on the scene, he remembers them. He remembers them. In fact, what I believe this is pointing to is that Joseph got to a place of forgiveness, and he accredits that to God. And when Joseph is collecting this 20% tax and it's in fact blessing the Egyptian people and blessing the land and in fact blessing all the people of the earth we learn because of his wisdom and walking in the spirit, he doesn't credit that to himself. He says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph recognized that as God was in charge of all things, he recognized God's blessing. Do you recognize God's blessing? You see, the story of Joseph isn't really about Joseph. In fact, it's about God's grace and his goodness to accomplish his plan in the midst of uh, the work of Satan and sinful men. 
that Joseph knew that God was in charge. And Joseph recognized his blessing. I'm going to ask you, church, do you recognize God's blessing today? Because Joseph actually points us to Jesus. That just as Jesus was sold for mere pieces of silver, so was Joseph. That his brothers sold him for mere pieces of silver, and he was sold into slavery. But Jesus wasn't sold into slavery, he was sold to be killed. And just as Joseph was in Potiphar's house and he was serving faithfully and did nothing wrong and was unjustly sentenced to prison, Jesus himself was brought before the council and was sinless and was sentenced not to prison but to death. And just as Joseph, God used him in his redemptive plan to bring about the uh, saving the peoples of the world from hunger, God used Satan and sinful man to use his son, Jesus Christ, not to save people from their hunger, but to save people from sin and death. Joseph points us to Jesus Christ. And I want to close with this, church, that you would respond in light of this. As we've seen that we see God's sovereignty and God's providence at work, it still calls for us to respond and to live in light of it. For those of us that are going through difficulty and it's tough and it's painful, would we be comforted that God's in charge and that we don't understand it, but God has promised that he is going to use it for good that we can confidently say with Joseph as he says in Genesis 50, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. For those of us in here have not trusted in Jesus Christ, I want to beg you to respond to God's grace this morning. That just as God in his sovereignty used the crucifixion of his one and his only son for the sins of the world, that it still requires us a response that we still need to get before the Lord and repent of our sins and trust in him alone. It's not merely enough to affirm that Christ went to the cross and that was good. We need it. And we need to respond individually. No one can respond for us. Church, would we be comforted by the reality that God's in charge? that he is sovereign, and would we see ourselves as we really are? Would we recognize our place? Would we recognize his plan and live in light of it? Would we recognize that he has given us his spirit to live out the calling in which he's called us through the good and the bad? And we, we recognize his blessing in his son, Jesus Christ. I would invite you to turn to him, put your faith in him, for those of you that are going through difficulty, that you would turn to him and that your heart would rest in trust in the reality that God is not asleep. He hasn't forgotten you. But in fact, he is going to work everything in your life for good. Really everything, the most evil things, the most heinous things, the things when people wronged you the most, the injustices. Yes, God can work those for good the things that are most confusing, the things that seem most backwards. Yes, God can work those for your good and his glory. Would we rest in that this morning?
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are humbled at the thought of your greatness and your majesty. We are humbled at the thought that you are a God who works everything providentially to accomplish your purpose and your plan. Lord, we are comforted to know that there are no accidents. There are no coincidences. There are no things left up to chance. But every moment and everything, Lord, is a divine appointment from you. God, I pray that the reality of your sovereignty and your rule would so comfort us today. And Lord, I pray for those here who have not repented and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that they would respond accordingly, that they would respond as you have commanded us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you are so sovereign over all. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.